Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Have you guys had a chance to check out Spike's Car Radio? If not, you need to check it out and catch up on some of his awesome interviews. In the past few weeks, Spike has talked with Matt Damon and Christian Bale from Ford versus Ferrari, Kim Coates, and William Fichtner. So head on over to Spike's feed and take a listen. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to Spike's Car Radio so you can get new episodes every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. On the December 5th edition of the PFF Forecast, George and I, George on location, will be talking about Ron Rivera being let go by the Carolina Panthers. What does that mean? And then we're going to dive deeply into the games right away, uh, starting with Thursday night football and finishing with a Monday night football game that is sure to make NFL films for decades in the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's rock. Wow, that was well done. Thanks, George. <laughs> how, how is Los Angeles right now? Well, here's the funny thing is uh, I'm in Los Angeles slash Las Vegas for a total of about 24 hours. And it has been raining pretty much the whole time. So uh, I managed to I managed to hit like the one section of the entire year where it rains. Uh, but other than that, it's good, man. Your week is going better than Ron Rivera's. But worse, I mean, I think God's just telling you to stop talking shit about Cincinnati. Yeah, that's, pro- that's probably it. He, he was like, listen, listen, man, be happy that you're alive. Uh, it was funny. I, I was uh, I was kind of taken aback by the Ron Rivera news. And when I was um, when I was here in, in Los Angeles, I got a chance to go to NFL Network. And they were kind of some people were wondering, like, OK, well, what does this mean? Like who who jumps in as the coach? And I was thinking of it totally differently because I'm not actually concerned with the new coaches. I'm more concerned with whether Cam Newton stays or not. So I guess I'll ask you this. Like, who do you think the new coach is, and does that matter for Cam Newton, or is he just totally done no matter what? Well, I I do think that the Panthers really need to decide about Newton. And I think this season, I mean, people got out ahead of themselves and they won four straight games with Kyle Allen. But in all honesty, like when you have a franchise quarterback – we saw this with Indianapolis and Andrew Luck. We've seen it, um, you know, with the likes of Derek Carr and, and folks that, you know, have people have been up and down on. If you build an infrastructure for a quarterback who's not perfect, you can get some uh, good results from that quarterback. And if you think the grass is greener on the other side, you're going to be wrong a fair amount of time, right? And so I, I, I think they keep Newton around and then they just, you know, I mean, for example, Greg Roman would be a terrific head coach, um, you know, to, to play to Newton's strengths. Um, but it also, what are they going to do in the general manager position as well? Because, you know, we know that that, that team, they just hired a director of analytics. They have a new owner who is pretty progressive. So I think Rivera is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of like what is going to happen with this team. So it'll be a really interesting thing to monitor moving forward. I had a couple of, of thoughts here and I was, it was interesting. I brought up McCarthy. I think he makes obvious sense. Um, and, especially because he's taking a year off and I think would come into that situation and be like, Hey, I'm going to embrace analytics, but I also bring, you know, pedigree with me, which I'm sure Tepper is looking for because he probably doesn't want to be, you know, the new owner who brings in a new green guy and that guy gets, you know, totally blown over. Um, and there's like, a, there's like a floor there, right? 
But then you've got Greg Roman, and this is where it gets a little interesting. Because if Greg Roman comes over there and Cam Newton is healthy, doesn't that seem like a potential fit and you keep Newton? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, the, the issue that Newton has that some of these other more athletic quarterbacks don't have, at least up until now, is how injury-prone Newton is. Yeah, and so the the hard part. So when you look at Baltimore with Lamar or Arizona with Kyler Murray or, you know, some of these other teams, you know, uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle, you know, they don't take the big hits. And I think that that is somewhat of a product of their body size, some of the product of the way that they are. Newton, to his credit, like people give him the people that give him crap are wrong. But to his credit, he is a winner. Like he wants to win football games. So. He goes through the physicality of that, and he pays a price. So, yeah, I mean, so that's the hard like, part. It's like anti-Lamar Jackson, actually. Like, Lamar Jackson, you think, is going to take these huge hits. And somehow, the dude is, like, so smooth, right? <laughs> he just manages to get under the hits, avoid them. Um, and, and Newton is the other way. He just, like, delivers hits. So by nature, the nature of that, he's going to take these. Yeah, he, he's it's sort of like, and we hate to throw this guy out here because he's a once in a lifetime, but like Barry Sanders, like never took a big hit. Like he was just so compact and, you know, Murray's that way as well, where like he, you know, it, it's the avoidance there that's actually the real value because, you know, Carolina it was a team that I know they were 0-2 when Newton started, but like they're a team that I think we were a little lower on going into the year and that's played out, but it, it, there, there is a bunch of sample paths where Newton plays well enough this year for them to be a winner. And unfortunately they never got to realize that. Um, any, any other dark horse uh, candidates? I think Eric B is like a decent um, guy that's kind of flown under the radar because Kansas city hasn't been as great. Here's a question though, that I, that I'll bring up, which is interesting. I think ha- Doug Peterson has fallen off a little bit this year, at least probably in the perception of many. Matt Nagy has clearly fallen off in the perception of some, having gone from coach of the year yeah. to where Chicago is. Frank Reich as well. You know, Frank Reich's not – he's adjacent to Andy Reid. He's not directly from him. But he's fallen a little bit, although I think people respect Reich, uh, given all he's had to go through. Does that influence the enemy thing at all? Like, you know, the Andy Reid yeah. tree is not perfect? I, I think it does, but it, it also is in light of the Sean McVay tree. Uh, yes, having a, undergoing a drought. So we're in a pruning. We're in a pruning era in in the history of NFL coaches. Which which honestly could make it makes kind of like the retread guy that fell out of style last year more appealing, and probably makes the let me bring in a college guy that has you know done some good things. Um, you know, I, I don't know that Kingsbury has like hurt that moniker at all. The Cardinals have been bad, but we knew they'd be bad. Kingsbury, um, aside from this week, this past week, Kingsbury's been awesome. I mean, honestly, that team was was like not yeah. historically bad last year, but offensively. Let's, let's not go. Let's not go with awesome, given his uh, field goal feeling. Sure, sure. Uh, but but in terms of the delta with that team, like they're a yeah. horrible. Their defense is worse than it was last year. And their offense a season ago with, you know, Leftwich and uh, and McCoy was, you know, the league's worst by a country mile. And he's at least made them competitive in the majority of their games last week, notwithstanding, which was a lucky big edge on Greenlight's part. And it was one of the, the rare games that we did not have to sweat. So, yeah. Um, speaking uh, of a sweat. Let's go. Dallas goes to Chicago tonight. 
these are two teams, right? These are two teams for which we had preseason win total unders. Yep. Dallas is a three-point favorite. Uh, I think that has moved out since the beginning when it was two and a half, although it's a juiced three, I believe. Um, who do we – like, so I, I think that there's a little bit of value here on, on the Chicago Bears now that this number's out to three and the money line's out to, you know, plus 150-ish. Chicago, Chicago's the side here, right? I mean, they're the undervalued team here in the NFL a week after, you know, a week after having basically David Blow almost beat them. Yeah, but isn't Dallas super, I mean, as much of an undervalue as you're going to find for Dallas as well? I agree that I think the home, you know, the, the Bears as a home team getting three points is appealing. And Trubisky actually played, you know, well in that game against uh, the Lions, which is obviously something that I think the market probably has forgotten by now because um, both these teams played on Thanksgiving. What what does worry me, though, is that the, the Dallas Cowboys offense has been good fundamentally and yet is being treated like it's a complete disaster because mm-hmm. they've you know, been unable to capitalize in the red zones, bad you know, turnovers and whatever. But generally, I like to fade that narrative, which is, oh, you know, the, the, the Dak Prescott's not playing that well. That's false. Um, their offense is not doing well. That's also false um, when it's things that, you know, just a couple plays here or there can make that uh, completely change. So I think I think if I had to take this game, I would just take the Bears' money line and wait for Dallas to just, like, jump into flames. Yeah. that's what happens if they lose this game, right? Right, and and this shows how much the perception has changed. You know, the Bears under win totals 9.5. Dallas is flat 9 I think if you want both of those to hit, you want Chicago to win tonight and then have them lose just one of their last three games. Whereas for Dallas, you know, they do have a tough road here having to play the Rams and the Eagles. Uh, the, the difficulty of playing the Eagles uh, will be up for debate. But um, but you want Chicago to win this game, and there is some value on the money line here uh, in, in that regard. The thing that's, I think, sneaky too is if you look at the matchups, Prince of Mucamara tonight is doubtful with a hamstring injury. Danny Trevathan is out with an elbow injury. Amukamara played most of the game the other day against the Detroit Lions, and they were still like beaten pretty badly at times by the Kenny Galladay's and the Marvin Joneses of the world. Dallas, as you said, is fundamentally good, but so has been the Bears' defense. Now the question is, is how can they respond to these injuries? Because now you're you're starting to add up the players. You're adding Trevathan, Akeem Hicks, Prince of Mucamara. Are they going to be that defense that we can count on, as we have been the basically the entire season? Sands the turnovers, right? The the issue with them is they weren't getting turnovers, and, and you know they finally got one at the very end of the game uh, against the against the Lions. But you can't count on that. Dak, Amari Cooper, obviously Michael Gallup, and then. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a little Zeke out of the backfield for two or three yards at a time. I, I do think Dallas is going to be able to move the ball in this game. I mean, David Blow managed to move the ball, so I don't see why Dak wouldn't be able to. Because the, the Eagles lost, it's the last thing I'll say. Um, a great article that if you want to read more about the NFC least, you should go to pff.com. We talk about the interesting dynamic of the NFC East now that, that Philly managed to lose to the Dolphins is that Dallas is now like in a commanding spot to win this division. And obviously it gets more commanding if they win this game, goes up to 88%. But if they lose, they still are about a 70, have about a 70% chance to win the division and make the playoffs, which is 
crazy because their win total would then dip below about eight wins. Yeah. <laughs> win total would dip below eight wins. And, you know, the Redskins would, uh, would of course, remain alive. But um, I think that's a, that's a narrative that probably shouldn't be totally dismissed, right? It is a must-win game because of the narratives in Dallas but, and what Jerry Jones has said. But it's still not quite a must-win game because they can still make the playoffs and save the season. So yeah. I, I think it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how um, the, the Dallas offense does outside against, you know, a team that isn't a total joke. Yeah, absolutely. And and so the total on this game about 43 and a half. We were really heavy on the Bears over on Thanksgiving when it was 38 and a half, 39. I think at this number it's probably fair. I I I would almost lean to the under even when you look at, you know, sort of what has felled the Cowboys of late, which is like, you know, some yeah, you know, what would J- um Jason Garrett think has hurt the Cowboys of late? Being aggressive on fourth down. <laughs> uh, uh, throwing the football too much and getting some turnovers, right? Some sack fumbles and stuff. So, like, even though we would say, okay, those are those are just noise. Like, he might just like go in the tank and run the ball with Zeke all night. That that plays to the under, I think, substantially. Chicago without Taylor Gabriel, I I don't know. I anyway, uh, you know, Allen Robinson has been one of the most impressive players in football this year, in my opinion, and I think. If Chicago leans into that a little bit, they could, you know, score a little bit and and make this game a little bit more exciting. That being said, I would not put any money on the over. Um, I, I yes, <laughs> I would not either. Um, okay. I, I'm with you there. Okay, let's let's move on to a game that we have to. Do we have to move on to Cleveland? <laughs> I was going to say uh, this one is a little tilting for me. Um, because, you know, last week we were, you know, we had, we had already written about half of, half of the Bengals at, uh, against the Jets up. Uh, and then that number moved from, you know, a three and a half, which had a ton of value down to a three, almost down to two and a half at kickoff. And so we, we punted it and we went with uh, Tennessee or sorry, Indianapolis against Tennessee, which had market resistance against us. Uh, and that turned out horribly. So we still see some value here on the Bengals, right? I mean, plus plus eight and a half, down down to plus eight, and plus seven and a half in some spots here. Uh, the Bengals would be getting almost a you know more than a full touchdown on the road against a Browns team that's reeling. It's it's funny that I I wonder why. So this line has moved a ton, and is that because Baker Mayfield's hand, or is it because people are like, well, actually the Cleveland Browns suck? What do you think has been a bigger reason for that? Well, okay, so the the part that scares me is is the first is the fact that the Bengals have been 3 and 0, 3 and 0 against the spread over the last 3 weeks. <laughs> and you know, they they were somehow and we talked about this on the pod, we were so upset that our model didn't have any value here, but the Bengals were 13-point underdogs at Oakland, which just seems like an atrocity <laughs> in hindsight. And then they were 6.5-point underdogs at home against Pittsburgh covered that number. And then last week they won outright against the jets as, you know, a field goal underdog. So I think the market's starting to say, okay, the Bengals have some life. They certainly have not quit on Zach Taylor, right? Like that's actually important. So, but that, that scares me because again, like whenever you say a team is X against the spread over the, you know, previous, you know, so-and-so weeks, um, you know, obviously that's a moving target and, and the market responds to that. And we've already seen this as the number has gone down in our direction, uh, from when we printed this pick, 
the the side that I'm actually, you know, I actually like in terms of a, um, you know, fundamental reason why this is a good play is a Baker Mayfield hurt, right? He injured his hand against the Pittsburgh Steelers and was not the same after. There's a ton of injuries on this side. You took an Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, both questionable with lower body injuries. And I think the kicker here is also the fact that Miles Garrett's out. Olivier Vernon played only about 10 snaps last week. The, the person with the highest number of pressures on the Browns last week was a defensive back. And that plays exactly into what the Bengals don't want, which is pressure on the quarterback. I mean, their offensive line is terrible, but the Jets, you know, we're not able to capitalize on it because they're terrible up front as well. Cleveland, I think, has the potential to be terrible up front because of injuries and suspensions. Here's a question. Uh, If Cleveland loses this game to Cincinnati, is Freddie Kitchens the coach next week? If If they lose outright, I would say that there's a pretty big chance that the answer is no. I mean, the the problem the problem because I think I think there's some I like I agree. Uh, you know, I love I, I like seven and a half. I like eight if you can get it, obviously. But I don't hate uh, a little plus two ninety either. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's the thing. And like we haven't talked about this enough, but like what you're essentially doing is trading the points for variance, right? Yep. And you know, we our, our friend uh, Lee Sharp was on Twitter last week, and he was saying, you know, he's been hasn't done very well this year betting sports but last week he was like look my model likes washington uh plus 400 it likes uh um what was the other team obviously the bengals and then there was another huge dog that it liked and all three of those cash right and like you can go months with you know betting value laden you know value gathering underdogs and they don't hit but then eventually they do and then you have a humongous week right and that and to me like i think that that's a you know you know, part of this shtick is that sometimes they don't hit, but you can, I, I do agree with you. I think maybe I plus two ninety, for example, I think gives you almost a 1% edge, you know, from our perspective, whereas the, if this number got down to seven, I don't think the spread pick has nearly as much value as the money line pick would. Yep. I'm with you there. Um, yeah. I don't like that. This is, it's taken a huge dives. Well, I think I think it's confirmation. I I honestly I like this more. We used to be talking about Tennessee Indy. I like this more than the market like moving in a starkly different direction. Yeah, yeah. Although we've seen times when you know, for example, on Monday Night Football, we like Seattle a little bit at minus three. We liked them a lot at minus two and a half, right? But the you know most of the people liked Minnesota in that in that matchup against the spread, and ultimately ended up working out for us. So you know it. Uh, these things are, are some oftentimes, you know, resemble a random walk anyway. So, you know, we like to find patterns where, you know, they don't exist maybe. Uh, okay. Let's, let's move on to a real game that people want to watch. Okay. New Orleans, San Francisco, my your, Niners. your Niners. I, I was at the Bengals game Sunday, but I have to make a, I have to make a uh, confession that I was in the box most of the time watching the Niners versus the Ravens. <laughs> Uh, well, my I'm, my wife enjoyed the ambiance of uh, Paul Brown Stadium. Jesus, that is that is an oxymoron if I've ever heard one. The the thing that has given me pause lately is I watched that Niners game. I watched it again, the, the Ravens game, and I came away with it impressed by the Niners more than I was by the Ravens, despite the Ravens winning. Now I have then become uh, like super tilted by that because. Every, I've talked to like five different people that have had the same takeaway. So now I know I'm wrong um, and that I should not read into that a whole lot. But that 
to me is is the reason that this number is two and a half, right? It's that people watch that Niners game against the Ravens. The Ravens have just been blowing teams out, and the Niners are fourth and one away, actually two fourth and ones away, right? The one they did not get and the one that the Ravens did get um, from winning that game. And we're more impressive on offense, right? Their EPA per play on offense was better than the Ravens in that game. Yeah. The turnover that they had, the fumble Grappo had, was like a bigger loss for them than, than the turnover that Lamar Jackson had. So that, to me, it means that there's a little bit of extra love for the Niners. Meanwhile, the Saints could have lost to the Falcons because of, you know, Young Way Koo's amazing <laughs> onside kick. Uh, and, and Drew Brees is just like not throwing the ball downfield. So I understand why there's some value on the Saints as a less than three-point um, you know, favorite home. Uh, however, the, the total is at 44 and a half. Yeah, and, I think we printed 44. But yes, I mean, it's kind of bounced yes. around between those two numbers all week. Uh, and that, to me is a little low that's throwing a little shade at jimmy g and this niners offense that that here's what i you know how we talk about quarterbacks throwing the ball downfield yep. you know 20 plus yards or whatever the the niners run game is the equivalent of throwing passes downfield in the run game like their run concepts they always have the potential to be these big plays uh-huh. in ways that i don't think a lot of run games do uh, and that's my that's my rationale for liking the Niners. <laughs> Here here's what I'll I'll push back. And again, like I I very much love your reasoning there for the two offenses. The other thing is is, I mean, median scoring in the league is down quite a bit this year, much like it was in 2017. But if you look at games where at least one of the quarterbacks has like basically a the grade that Drew Brees has in our system, um, yeah. it, it's not as discernible. And, and so, like, I think that this is depressed, I think, you know, in a very defense matters way. And of course, we are, uh, I would say, hesitate, hesitatingly on the defense doesn't matter train. Um, but I'll push back on the Niners. You know, I, I do. They had a good effort against Baltimore for sure. And you watch that game and you think to yourself, OK, this is a team that can compete in the NFL, uh, you know, but the Niners scored their first touchdown of the game on a fourth and short on a deep pass to Debo Samuel, where Marcus Peters was. I don't know what he was watching the Bengals game while I was watching the Ravens game. Right. So uh, there was that like sort of luck. And then, of course, that that drive was precipitated by Lamar Jackson's first fumble of the year. And so there are different ways that game plays out. And I agree that, like, if we're going to play the whole, okay, the Niners didn't convert on these two fourth downs, we also have to talk about the ones that they did convert. And I think that the the seven points they got from the one conversion more than outweighs the maybe three points that they could have got from the other two. So that that would be my only pushback and why I do like the Saints here. Um, But I think the over is the better play. Yeah, I I went back and forth on that because – um, this is attacking Marcus Peters, you know, in that situation I love. And, um, and it, it shows like if they get, if they just run a run play to pick up the first down, you know, they still have a pretty good shot scoring a touchdown. So I, I do agree with you. I've just gone back and forth on that same yeah. thought. Um, Here. but yeah, I would, I would rather consider, um, putting money down for charity on the over, which yeah. means 
everyone out there listening, all five of you should probably take the Saints and the, <laughs> against the spread. Well, and that was the thing is like last week, you know, I went back and, you know, last week, the only two picks that we got wrong the entire week were the two that we printed up on Sunday. And, right. and so sometimes, you know, we, <clears throat> sometimes we don't believe our own numbers and sometimes, you know, we get on tilt and sometimes we believe too much in our own numbers. But, you know, our biggest, biggest edges last week were Seattle against the spread, uh, the Los Angeles Rams against the spread. And we talked ourselves out of both of those, as well as the over in the, in the uh, Thanksgiving uh, morning game. So there is a big edge on on the Saints here, and I think that there are you know there are other people that also uh, believe the same thing. That being said, there's a lot of reasons why you know the Saints could be trending in the wrong direction, the Niners could be trending in the other direction that could make that not necessarily as apparent uh, as we think. One the the biggest one of which would be the fact that Drew Brees has fewer than two percent of his passes being big time throws. Um, you know, it, it, both of these guys are very low ADOC guys. The, the the New Orleans Saints do not compensate by being all that explosive in the run game. They're efficient in the run game relative to other teams, but not explosive. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, let's move. This, this game is going to be awesome. And uh, the Niners do really need a win. Here's the interesting kind of thing about it is, you know, everyone is just sort of assuming that the Niners, uh, you know, are going to lose the Saints and the Seahawks are going to beat the Rams. And the Seahawks-Rams game, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I think is an interesting one. So um, I'm excited to, to talk about that in conjunction with what the Niners are going to potentially do in New Orleans. Uh, which game should we go to next? How about how about another crappy game? Let's do Pittsburgh-Arizona. Yeah. Uh, in, in the desert, uh, is this, this is a 425 game. So the 425 games are a bunch of garbage and then Kansas City, New England. So if you don't want to watch Kansas City, New England, let's talk about a reason to watch Arizona, Pittsburgh and Duck Hodges. Yeah. Uh, the, the Steelers are favored by two and a half. What is this line if the Cardinals are uh, like show up to play in the game last week against the, the Rams? Yeah, I mean, the, well, and conversely, also, if the Steelers don't beat the beat the Browns outright right I mean as, yeah. as underdogs so uh, I would probably I would probably say you know people would have it more of a pick um, even if not the Cardinals maybe minus one or two so yeah it did move a lot off of last week um, so th- that is something to consider if you like the Steelers uh, either against the spread or minus 140 on the money line yeah I, it is I've struggled with this one because this goes against my intuition. I think the, I think the Cardinals are a like decently plucky team, mm-hmm. um, and they are getting points at home against a guy named Duck Hodges. Yeah, I, the the thing is though, I mean, for one, is Duck doesn't kill them. You, <laughs> you know, like thanks, uh, Mike. You know, and. and um, so there's that and then the other thing is when you look at this matchup like okay what what do the cardinals do the best well they play offense the best among the you know the the other things that they do the steelers i think this is a situation i think where defense does matter right in the sense that the cardinals are not very good offensively the the steelers are you know are able to capitalize on turnovers from a young quarterback or turnover opportunities from a young quarterback 
Um, they get after the passer, and you know the you know the Cardinals have mitigated pass rush better this year, of course, than last season. But again, that's going to be tough to do against the Steelers. You know this Steelers defense. And then what don't the Cardinals do? They don't stop anybody. Um, and, and so, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster is questionable this week. Deontay Johnson with an illness questionable. I think both will play. Connor as well was limited the other day. So they might be getting more healthy on offense. And so if they put up 20 in this game, much like they did against the, Cle- the Cleveland defense, which is better than the Arizona defense, I do think that they get at least, you know, the W in this game. I can be on board with that, especially because it goes against my intuition, and uh, that usually makes me feel better because I know I'm going to be wrong about a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so. to- total on this game, um, total on this game is is 43. Uh, not a huge lean on either side. I mean that that just shows you again the the low scoring nature of this. It also says the other thing, which is true: if this number, if people agree with us, and this number gets out to three and a half. It might be a play for Arizona. I do think it's that tight in terms of like it's not like a New Orleans versus San Francisco thing where we would probably like the game even out to three and a half. If this game got out to three and a half, I do think uh, all bets are off on on the Steelers. We see there. We already talked about this game for far too long. Okay, let's go to the uh, afternoon game that is worth talking about. Your Chiefs go to Foxborough to play the Patriots. It's going to be cold. Um, This is not too you know, dissimilar from the kind of setup um, in last year's game uh, in New England, except that both of these teams are, I think, probably significantly worse in the minds of many on offense. And so for that reason, uh, the total is, I think it's like five points lower than it was when they met on Sunday Night Football last year. Uh, I want to say it was like 54. But um, it's 49. I've even seen 48 and a half in a couple of spots. Um, so, uh, to me, the Patriots being favored by three makes perfect sense. I don't think I know a ton about the ceiling for each team yet. I expect them to potentially be able to meet it. And so for me, it's, it's all about points being scored. Yeah. This is a quintessential defense. Doesn't matter game, right? I mean, if the Patriots, if the Patriots come out and play well offensively, then, the fact that the Chiefs have been pretty impressive this year on defense is going to be mostly irrelevant, I think. You know, and and Kansas City has Kansas City has played the toughest schedule of opposing PFF Massey offenses this year. I mean, it, it's something that's you know not something I would I had expected, um, and so their defense has been impressive. The problem is they have the weaknesses that somebody like Brady and Belichick are going to be able to exploit. I mean, I have you know visions of. You know, the Chiefs defense mostly playing well against the Packers on Sunday Night Football, but then Aaron Jones uh, and Jamal Williams out of the backfield making, uh, you know, making guys like uh, Anthony Hitchens and uh, Damian Wilson, you know, look pretty foolish out there. And and, and Brady has that in uh, in uh, James White, right? James White actually had a pretty good game against Houston. He's probably the only player on that offense that did. On the On the other side, the Chiefs' offense is as healthy as they've been all season. Um, you you have you know the the only issue is Daryl Williams was out, but you know that he's a running back. He's also a third string running back. So, you know when, when you go with Watkins, uh, Demarcus Robinson, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, I mean the the only thing I think that's going to keep the the 
the Chiefs from doing their end of the bargain is, you know, Mahomes, who's been a little bit less accurate than he was last season. Yeah, he has. And that is worrisome. However, uh, they're still going to take shots. And that's that's the that's the comforting part of it. Right. Is that Andy Reid is not going to be bullied off of taking shots down the field. I mean, Mahomes is still, despite missing a few games, you know, top five, top six in terms of completions down the field, yards on passes, 20 plus yards down the field. Um, and the, the uptick in like his negatively graded play rate actually makes me feel just as good about this because, um, you know, there's always a chance that if there's a team that's going to take advantage of one of those mistakes, it's probably the Patriots mm-hmm. and an early little, uh, you know, a uh, little defensive touchdown never hurt anybody. Well, like let's let's pre um, let, let's go through what could go wrong in this game. I mean, what what went wrong with respect to an over last year in the AFC title game? Well, the, the New England got out of front. Uh, they were up seven, I believe, it was seven nothing until Dorsett scored a touchdown at the very end. So it was fourteen zero. If this game's fourteen zero at halftime, you and I are going to be pretty upset, right? Um, but what happens? Well, Mahomes is not going to give up, right? And and as a result, that game actually sailed over in the AFC Championship game, uh, a number bigger than this, uh, in weather worse than this, uh, as a result, right? And and um, so what what makes this game go under? And the same thing was true as well. Like Kansas City got behind in the first in the first matchup. The game wasn't necessarily on pace for an over, but then you got kick returns, right? Dave Tobe is a great uh, special teams coordinator. You got, you know, it, Mahomes threw interceptions in the end zone in the first matchup, and this game still sailed over. So, like, what is – give me a scenario where this game goes under other than – I have one for you. Okay. The, the scenario where this game goes under is exactly what happened in Mexico City, and that is that Tyreek Hill gets hurt. Um, because what we saw, the New England Patriots' defense – uh, and why it doesn't matter is that if you have good offense, like the Washington, or the Washington, the Deshaun Watsons, uh, the Houston Texans have, you know, you can make you can make some hay against them, and that is what Tyreek Hill brings to the table. He's going to open things up. Obviously, we know how much of a struggle the Patriots had with him the last time they played in Foxborough. So to me, that's what it's all about. If he can stay on the field and stay healthy, and Andy Reid can actually run all the things he wants to run uh then then i think you know that this is a really savvy move and you take the over especially because brady is playing better fundamentally than the market is is giving him credit for right he's top 10 graded quarterback suffered a ton of drops that uh, texans game was ugly but the chiefs are going to give him a little bit of a different scheme right so um yeah, I think it goes wrong if Tyreek Hill gets gets hurt, and otherwise I'm pretty pumped about it. Here's a question that I have, um, because I think when we look at when we look at you know possibilities for our you know block of the week, pick of the week, or whatever, do we want to look at secondary markets in this game? Because 49, 49 is is a you know is a key number in the NFL, right? This you know twenty eight twenty one would 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 basically yield a push here. But if you look at some secondary markets, for example, the first quarter over in this game is nine and a half. The first half over is twenty three and a half, right? And and I don't know. I, I'm just sort of spitballing here. If you're looking at you know, if you're looking at places where like okay, there's a key number of twenty or forty nine here, 
you really like to get yourself a 48 and a half, but you don't want to buy down to that number. 23 and a half is right underneath 24, right? So first half goes 14, 10 cash, right? First, you know, first quarter, basically you would just need both teams to score, you know, field goal and a touchdown to get yourself over nine and a half. Kansas City has been one of the best teams in the league in terms of scripted plays. Um, they're aggressive early in games. Um, New England's one of the best teams at creating turnovers. So, again, even though New England's offense has sputtered a little bit, you're talking about the possibility of a short field. Uh, the, the, the drawback for me for any of these first half, you know, first quarter things is the fact that the kicking game for New England is an absolute nightmare. So, so that would be, you know, that would be somewhere to look. I don't know if it's it's in consideration because I do think the full game is probably the play, even though you are taking you're giving up more points than twice the you know first half line, for example. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, I look. Here's my thing. The the secondary markets bug me because we are moving against the we're moving further away from the team's goal which is to win right Mm -hmm. and that pisses me off beyond belief because you'll have teams acting in ways that are so irrational relative to the position you're in Mm -hmm. and so from a from a stress level perspective (laughs) from a quality of life perspective yeah yeah uh it's just um, like it just like hurts my soul. Yeah, I, I can see that. And, you know, and the, it, it can sort of go both ways, right? Like, you know, for example, on, on Sunday, the first quarter over in San Francisco, Baltimore hit, but the full game total didn't because the game slowed down. You know, you get into a slug fest, right? And you get weather and all that kind of stuff and the game slows down. But there are equally as many games that, you know, don't don't get off to a fast start that, you know, much like the as we talked about the ASC title game and even the game uh, between these two teams last season. So, yeah, that, that was just something I wanted to throw out there just in case, um, you know, it, it whetted your appetite. Um, I, I would rather consider the, the total game. But with that being said, if you had to take one of these, one of these games that we have, we have just talked about, which one are you going with? Oh, that's um, – let's go with oh, – well, I would go with New Orleans over. New Orleans, San Francisco? Yeah. I mean, the the, the thing for me is just that the, the – I, I think San Francisco and New Orleans offenses are good. I think, t- I think people are overrating the effect that a good New Orleans off or defense and a very good San Francisco defense is going to have on the total of this game, including what happened last week. San Francisco sh- mostly shutting down a really good offense in Baltimore. I think a lot of that had to do with the rain. I think a lot of that had to do with the way that the game flowed. You know, uh, 44 and a half or 44. Let's, let's go with 40. 44 is a really low number in today's NFL especially between teams that, whose offenses aren't the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears. Yep. Um, I, the, two, uh, the two games that, that I am most excited about are the Saints and the Niners and the Chiefs and the, and the Patriots and the Overs in both those games. Um, and I think the, the two, t- you know, 
if you look at the teams, the strengths of each side, you know, and the offenses for all of those teams, the fact that the Niners who have a very good offense and the Saints have a very good offense, and the total in that game in a dome is five points lower than you know the, yeah. the Chiefs who have not been as good, and the Patriots who you know. Like the fundamentals are good, but they certainly have not been as good of an offense. Is five points higher outside, is like I think tells you everything you need to know about where I'm at with them. So I'm happy to go uh, neither side over. All right, that's great. Okay, um, let's do it. You got, right. I, I've been told that you are. I can't see you right now, but I've been told that you're wearing what one might term as not so proper clothing. That's right. And speaking of proper clothing. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Collars are too tight. Sleeves are too long. Something is always not right. And for me, it's like being big and tall, but uh, but not like Steve Palazzolo big and tall. It's sort of like in no man's land, right? And like, yeah. And, and, and so, but luckily, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions and they are easy i know that you know both of us did really well in school but they would have done the easy questions even if you weren't uh you know of the academic ilk um not only does proper cloth make it easy to create your custom size they make it really simple to completely customize your shirt and get the style you want and believe me if you're as particular as pff underscore george (laughs) And they and they pass his test. They they'll pass everybody's test. Um, want a bigger pocket size or a bigger left cuff for your watch? Customize over thirty different style points and get the exact style you want. Or select from hundreds of pre-designed shirts. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers around the world, and only buy fabric that meets their high quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality. And craftsmanship, all of their styles come with a perfect fit guarantee. So if it doesn't fit, you can get remade completely for free. Very convenient. And they have great customer service teams based in New York City that makes it super easy to get a shirt remade. I personally went through Glenn. Glenn did a great job uh, of dealing with my emails, which aren't always the uh, the nicest in the world. So Proper Cloth has been featured in many of the top publications, such as the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Esquire, GQ, Fast Company. GQ even calls them their new favorite online custom shirt maker. Proper Cloth shirts are completely custom made for you and start at just $80. So you're guaranteed to find a style that you love with quality that doesn't break the bank. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash PFF today. Enter the gift code PFF20 to save $20 off your first shirt. See why Proper Cloth is the best custom shirt maker. Go to propercloth.com slash PFF. That was really well done. Thank you. I mean, I know I'm not wearing my Proper Cloth shirt right now. I will, of course, uh, for you know our other videos. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a very painless experience for somebody who – as you know, as one of my best friends, George, somebody who doesn't take their clothes very seriously. Yeah, you you should get more credit for that. You know, like I think you uh, you do take them seriously when you need to, and that's what matters. Yep, no, that's true. It's like the it's like the running game. It's like only only short yardage. That's great comparison. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's let's talk about some of these other games. Um, 
Let's do, let's do a little speed round here. We, we talked about – okay, yeah. So Carolina at Atlanta. Atlanta laying three at home. Um, tell me how the Falcons lose this game despite playing against a team with an interim coach. Uh, because of it, the interim coach gets people fired up and the Carolina Panthers um, are – they have some players on that team, and the Falcons are the Falcons. That's how. What was your favorite the Falcons are back moment, by the way? Say, wait, hold on. You broke up for a second. Say that again. What was your favorite the Atlanta Falcons are back, we should take them seriously moment? Oh. Um, I mean, after, the, after they beat the Saints, right, it was like, okay, that was a total joke. Um and I was not willing to get back on the train. But when they when they then managed to win two in a row, I'm not going to lie, there was like, Dan Quinn has figured this out. Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is the turning point for this organization. There was like a tenth of a second where I felt that way. Interesting that yeah when they when they won and gave us value on Green Line, that was my favorite moment. But we knew it was fleeting. Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about a game that actually has some AFC playoff implications. The Baltimore Ravens go on the road. They're anywhere from five and a half to six point favorites against the Buffalo bills. We've been inundated with the last, you know, month or two about how great Josh Allen has been and how much crow we're going to have to eat. Where, how do you see this game working out? I, I remember we spoke about this game, you know, on, on, early Monday morning and felt like, you know, that there might be some value on the bills here, playing at home, being a huge underdog, getting extra rest, all this stuff. Um, and I, and our model, you know, kind of spit in our face here. So I, you know, for that reason, I'm like very hesitant, but I understand it because the Josh Allen love has been really, you know, widespread after that Thanksgiving game. And he's still a guy that's making, you know, turnover-worthy plays at mm-hmm. more than twice the rate of the big-time throws that he's making. So Lamar Jackson is decisively the better quarterback, obviously, in this game. And the Ravens are the better team and the better offense overall. But six, you know, five and a half, six, depending on where you see it, um, is a lot for uh, a team that's like, you know, as decent as the Buffalo Bills. Right? Here's the thing that I think will give me pause if I'm going to bet Buffalo. The Buffalo defense is against the run. is one of the worst in the NFL this year, and they faced one of the easiest group of run offenses. So obviously that doesn't matter most of the time, but with the Ravens, it probably is going to matter. The, the bet that I like the most in this game, though, and I, it's actually trended upward a little bit, is I kind of like over 43 and a half and in fact it's gone up to 44 because because i think of the ancillary things like the wind is projected to be about 18 miles per hour a little bit of precipitation possibly but i don't think that that's going to matter with these two teams because of the way that they generate points is not necessarily of the passing the ball affected by wind ilk so that would be my only lean um this will this will be a game i think you know at the offices we have at least on one of the secondary tvs because it's it's not great from a betting perspective, but it, it's it's compelling from the playoff perspective. Yes, I'm with you there. Okay, um, let's let's talk about a game where we nailed it on on Monday morning. 
the the Washington Spreadskins, uh, the Breadsticks, they go on the road to Green Bay. They were getting 14, I believe, yes. on Monday morning. Both of us said this is not going to last. Take Washington, fade Green Bay, and now this number is 12 and a half. I think most of the value is sucked out of that uh, selection now. That, you know, through the those two numbers. Um, is there anything really compelling in this game other than you could have betted you could have bet on it earlier in the week? Nope, and I did, so I'm happy about that. Um, I think it's it's funny. Are people? It was this a number thing, or was it like? A, did, does anyone actually know that Dwayne Haskins played well in that game, or they just knew Washington won? I, I can't really decide. Um, I still think if I had to choose one side of this game, though, I would take the Redskins at yeah. 12 and a half. Well, you look at their ELO rating. Washington's ELO would correspond to a team that's five and a half points worse than the average team. The Green Bay Packers, despite their record, are only three points better than the average team. You take that, you add in a little home field advantage. There is still a little bit of value, I'd say, on the 12 and a half, but it's not enough, I, I would say, to recommend. But... Um, if you are a Washington fan, the interesting thing, and this is something uh, I'll just talk about for a brief second, that is interesting to consider. There was a significant amount of Washington fans in Carolina for that victory the other day. And it's because before the Panthers were a team in the NFL, all the people from the Carolinas were Redskins fans. Uh, and so that's something interesting that we don't account for in our model, but it might be something that if you have to look at through the history of the league, might be something to understand as we think about the landscape of home field advantage now in the NFL with travel not being a big deal it mostly being the fans in the stands something to consider okay Den Denver against Ooh. Houston Denver after now Denver season sweep of the Los Angeles Chargers is a bit um, tainted let's say by the great job Vanceness of uh, Anthony Lynn right Right. However, they are getting a full nine points here. And this has kind of come out a little bit out to nine and a half and then back to nine. And is there there's some reason to like Denver here? Yeah. Yeah. They, the Drew Locke thing um, is not I don't think it's necessarily like that Drew Locke played decently because I don't think he really played all that well, even though they won. Um but I think it's more about kind of fading the Texans winning their Super Bowl last week. And, you know, that was an impressive win, no doubt. But I would expect, you know, I would expect Denver plays super hard, right? Like Big Fangio gets that team to yep. try. Yep. And in a game where both teams are trying very hard and one team has already, you know, won their biggest game of the season, um, it just seems like nine is is too many especially if you find it nine and a half yeah there's the there's also the relief factor too like if you're houston the 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 tough one was let's say so tennessee is on your heels now right at seven and five and you're eight and four but you beat you beat uh, you beat new england and now the path to winning that division is pretty simple it's beat the tennessee titans twice in the last four <laughs> weeks and and, and and that would be less the case if they would have lost to New England. But there's some, like, I think relief factor here playing at home. And they're always a team that has been a letdown, a letdown fest, right? They go to New Orleans week one. They play an inspired game. They lose a little bit. Then they, they're, laying, they're, they're laying nine to Gardner Minshew and almost lose that game outright, you know? And I think that's the kind of team that the, the, the Texans really are. And to your point, I think Denver does play hard here. 
The issue I have is that, you know, um, the issue I have here is that, you know, Isaac Yadam, you know, he was abused again last week. And Houston does have three wide receivers that scare me. And, and, and that would be um, that would be my that would be my um, my only uh, concern here. Yeah. All right. What's up next? Let's look at. Um, oh, wow. OK. Detroit going on the road to face the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings laying 12 and a half or yeah, Vikings laying 12 and a half total on this game. Forty three. This is a far cry from the game that we got. You know, but seven, eight weeks ago when Minnesota went to Detroit and the game was basically a pick em, uh, That was a pretty good fun game to watch um this game maybe not so much that game ended 42 30 the total on this game is 43 uh what say you still there i'm, I'm here uh, okay I, it might be this la weather that's causing the connection to, to break up oh well well um, so but so, so i said that the last game between these two ended 42 30 this total on this game is 43 <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, that was the the side of this that that stuck out to me, right? I mean, um, the Vikings at home against like bad quarterbacks has always been something that that people seem to love the Vikings. The, the Vikings defense, though, and you've been on this for a while, like they're not very good. So um, you know, which is not something that we've said for quite some time. Um, however. Uh, it would worry me that there would be, you know, they would be up seven and there would be this wonderful pick seven at the end of the game or pick six or whatever it is uh, that kind of like completely dashes your hopes. But, um, I, I mean, the right side, in my opinion, is is the, the Lions if you have to choose one. Um, and, you know, that's where our model would shade. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not like super excited about this game at all. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a universe where this plays out like the Denver-Minnesota game where backup quarterback, good wide receivers, abuses. Like, honestly, you know, Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay have eaten against Minnesota every game for the past, you know, bunch of matchups. But the, the book is out on blow. Uh, blow. Uh, time, <laughs> time's up over blow. But um, the – and the Detroit defense is awful. So I would say the over is probably the best the best play in this game. The spread it just worries me too much. Um, okay, let's let's uh, let's set a record for the amount of time we talk about this game. Dolphins at Jets, five and a half. Jets are favored by total in this game forty five and a half. You had to take one side of that. What are you going with? Under. Oh, interesting. I'll take the Dolphins. Yeah. The point. Yep. Um, All right. Next. This by the way, by the way. If we don't take enough time on any game, you go to pff.com, get an elite subscription, you go to Green Line, you get all the bowl games, you get all these games, um, and you can talk about them with yourself to your heart's content. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah, yeah and, that, uh, and that's the point of, and that was one of the reasons why we've decided, you know, just to give out all the numbers, is that if you are a Jets fan and you want to bet on the Jets, you'll know exactly what we think about that bet. Exactly. I have a proposition here. I okay. think there are some games that are not as interesting. Uh, and some games that are. So a couple games that are not as interesting would be the Colts versus the Bucks, the Chargers versus the Jags. Uh, and uh, let's let's do these in record time as well. Okay. We want – so we have the over six and a half Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay is two games away from that. I am 
unusually nervous for that to happen despite that their schedule so I don't know. Hopefully the Bucks come out to play like they did last week against the Jaguars, against the Colts here. I think the Colts will be probably reeling a little bit from the fact that their playoff hopes are almost dead. Yeah, not in good shape. But I, I do, I said this on Monday morning, I, I do kind of like the Colts uh, as an underdog because I hate Jameis as a favorite. Uh, Chargers-Jags, man, talk about disappointment and irrelevancy and <laughs> middle of nowhereness. The Chargers are three-point favorites in Jacksonville. Minshew is back. Total is forty-three. Um, what, what was your favorite? This, what was your favorite Nick Foles as the Jag starter moment? Yeah, the one where he earned all the respect by getting the contract. <laughs> uh, uh, I would lay the points with the Jaguars. Or sorry, I'd lay the points with the, the Chargers because the Chargers are gonna—they're very tight, Titans-like in that they, they'll surprise you once in a while. Oh man! Uh, yeah. I guess I want to hop back on the Minshew bandwagon, but I mean, I, I don't know if I can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would just do everything I could not to pick this game. And if I had three, I'd probably take the ja- chargers. Fuck. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, the, let's, the next game up is that Titans Raiders. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and this game, like, let's just talk about it for a brief second. Titans are at seven and five. Raiders are at six and six. Um, if you would have told us at the beginning of the season that this game was going to be for possible playoff positioning in the AFC, we would have laughed at you. So there is some, there is something here that the Titans are laying two and a half on the road. Here's a question to all because we we have no lead on this game really, but I'll, I'll ask you a quick question. If this game was played two weeks ago, what's the spread? That's That was basically the question that I was going to ask you. And it's Raiders by three and a half. Yeah, I would, I would say it's just flipped two and a half, I would say. You know, because, but yeah, I mean, Tennessee was left for dead at three and five or three and four, whatever they were when they lost uh, to the to the Denver Broncos with um, uh, when, after they benched Mariota. Now they're at seven and five. They are in a. They're they're actually. I mean, I think they control their own destiny in the AFC South. If they beat the Houston twice and win out, they're they're would win the division by you know without even the tiebreaker. So this is a hugely important game. And then for the Raiders, the question becomes like, now that you're a game back, um, I believe has Oakland has Oakland played this uh, anyway. The, the Oakland's I believe has played the Steelers. They they have they have an opportunity here to to still salvage a playoff spot in the sixth seed in the AFC. Um, so this is an important game and one that you know even though it probably is not a great or well played game, we'll probably have on in the background. Yeah, I'm I'm actually sort of excited about this game. And if I had to go, you know, if I take one side of this game, initially I would have said, you know, the Raiders are are absolutely that side, and and our model feels differently because of how well Ryan Tannehill has played. And um, the, the the Raiders have, despite Mike Mayock's attempts, um, uh, not the, the greatest defense in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you expect Ryan Tannehill. He's a 125 pass rating from a clean pocket, and there's no reason to believe that he won't have a clean pocket for the entirety of this game. So uh, this is uh, this is one that goes against my intuition again, and I'm kind of excited to watch it because. I've talked about John Gruden being the coach of the year should the Raiders, you know, like kind of keep it rolling. And they promptly just needed like 
uh, like two diapers to hold in the amount of <laughs> excrement that came out of them since that point. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the, the Titans like legit have a, a playoff chance now, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, they're tied with the Steelers at seven and five. Um, I believe the Steelers have the tiebreaker currently, but it's uh, it's irrelevant until the season ends. Okay, this this actually, and and I I'm so excited for this because you know we we you know watch the Sunday Night Football game together, you know, yes. we're working, and then usually it's us wanting one of the sides and being disappointed. So. But this Sunday night football game between the Seahawks and the Rams, we have no uh, no horse in the race. Seahawks are laying a point on the road-ish against the, the L.A. Uh, Rams. Total on this game, 47. Um, Seattle now the favorite to win the NFC West. We have them about 59%. The betting markets are 55%, so some value there still. Um, what, what, is the, what excites you the most about this game? Well, what excites me the most, there's a couple things. The first is this is an opportunity for Russell Wilson to steal back some MVP shine. Um, and he'll have to do it against a, a, a defense that is legit, right? This is not, they're not a total cupcake. But what really excites me about this is that I think the, you know, I think this, the Niners have a decent chance, right, to beat the Saints. And the Rams despite how bad they've looked against real teams, have a decent chance to beat a Seahawks team that is masquerading as a 10-2 team. Yes. But they're an average team with a great quarterback, and that's the recipe for the Rams to win the game because the Seahawks can't get any pressure. They don't have anyone that scares you you know, a ton, right? They're going to play a bunch of uh, base defense and, and cover three, and that's quite literally what Sean McVay's offense is like geared to yep. beat. So I think this is going to be a, a super compelling game. I would expect there to be a decent number of Seahawks fans there. But the Seahawks just managed to play in these very exciting games, right? I continue to mention this. They're 10-2. and two. The other 10-2 and two teams are all uh, leading the league in terms of fewest number of plays uh, being run when, when losing, right? They play from ahead. The Seahawks are on the total opposite end of the spectrum. They've got 200 more plays. Uh, run when losing. Russell Wilson is continuously fighting back from behind, and he's been tremendous. So it's an opportunity both to see a good game and for Russell Wilson to kind of put a stamp on the MVP case. Yeah, and and we talked about this. You know, when they played on Thursday night, we had a small lean on the under, and we said this could go wrong for exactly the reason you said, which was the Seahawks don't play nickel. And they've luck boxed into a bunch of teams like Philly and Minnesota that don't have wide receivers, right? And the Rams are actually trending in the other direction. Robert Woods is healthy. Cooper Cup is healthy. Brandon Cooks is healthy. Tyler Higby had a career day against Arizona. I think Gerald Everett will, you know, at least give it a go this week. And so the Rams match up really well here. But the Seahawks, to your point, have found a way. They have always found a way. And... You know, the Rams defense, I think, you know, Jalen Ramsey's been a little bit disappointing since coming over. And then, you know, they don't have that second corner that really scares you. The Rams obviously have Aaron Donald, but the Seahawks, like the most underrated thing the Seahawks did on Monday Night Football was they controlled the middle of the line of scrimmage against the Vikings. And granted, none of those guys are anywhere near the the, the football player that Aaron Donald is. But the, the idea that the Seahawks offensive line is this travesty, I think, is overblown now. Um, so I think both of these teams score points. And so if you are looking at some of the secondary mark, like 
I absolutely love first quarter over in this game. I absolutely love first half over in this game. I love the the full game over in this game. Um, And and I think it's just going to be an exciting one. So uh, I can't wait to watch it. I'm not having a horse in this race is going to be a lot of fun just because it's really um, a game where a lot can change, right? If if the Rams win and they go to eight and five, um, you know, they're right on the heels of Minnesota and Minnesota doesn't have the easiest schedule coming up. Uh. It, it is. It is. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I'm like, especially on the heels of what happens in uh, San Francisco, New Orleans. Um, all right. So uh, you got to take one side. Seahawks are favored by one. It looks like uh, right now. You got to take one side. Uh, basically, a pick. Who are you yeah. picking? Uh, I'd take the. I'd take the Seahawks. Still, honestly, it's just the better quarterback. I, it, but again, like I said, I think obviously it could be just. It could go either way. But I'll take the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I will take the Rams. Uh, I, I I don't know why. It just feels like uh, everyone everyone loves the Seahawks. There are some fundamentals that are not good with them, and uh, my Rams here in LA are are good at beating mediocre teams. So there you go. Okay, speaking of a a primetime game that is not primetime, uh, the New York Giants. Um, I think with Eli Manning at the helm this week. Uh, going to Philadelphia to face an Eagles team reeling after losing to the um, uh, <laughs> to Miami Dolphins. This is another one where we were wrong compared to our model. We kind of liked the the Giants getting all those points early in the week. Our model is a little bit more shaded towards Philadelphia. What what I mean? Is there anything more to say about this game? I, no, other than. Uh, in the pick and league that I'm in that sends out lines earlier in the week, the Eagles were eight and a half point favorites. Um, and so is it, is it really worth moving the line for Eli versus Daniel Jones? Does that really make a difference? I don't think so. I, you know, I, I mostly think it's this, the, I don't know. I honestly think it has an effect on the total. I think it makes the total more likely to go under because as bad as Eli is, he does not, throw as many he doesn't turn the ball over as much as as uh, daniel jones and hence i don't think the eagles are going to get the short fields that they need essentially to score points anymore that's that's a great point <laughs> like, like they're not the, the eagles offense is needs they need to face so quarterbacks bad. like ryan or like ryan fitzpatrick nick Foles. They they need, nick Foles now available nick Foles and a one or sorry, but Nick Foles and a one for Carson Wentz should be the trade of the offseason. Who says no? Who says no? All right, that is uh, that is the week. Now I have not. I have only been to the Cincy Y a couple of times this week, so I know that that you have more exposure at this point to the Cincy Y, both literally and figuratively. To be quite honest with you, <laughs> do you have any stories? Uh. Not really. I mean, somebody 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 told me to. Somebody was a. I almost got another fight in the locker room, but that's like that's really? like a normal occurrence. Well, yeah, like wow. one of the one of the workers there was just like like I don't I don't have a locker there because like why would I why would I? So I was just like changing in the middle of the locker room. And he's like can't get a locker, and I go basically the same thing as before. He's like you'll survive. And I, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's. The fact that you, uh, the gentle giant, have gotten in um, 
in almost two fights in the Cincinnati locker room, and I have not even come close. Is spectacular. I don't have, unfortunately, because it's it's I'm on West Coast time. I have not yet gone to the the gym in the hotel here yet, but I'm going to. So we'll have to just like wait and see if I have any stories for um, for the Sunday night pod, which. If you're still listening, you should definitely check out because uh, it's a lot of fun and we're tired and weary, so you can make fun of us yep. while listening to it. Um, you going to go play some basketball now? I think so. I think uh, uh, Steve, you know, Steve and his jerry curl will try to do some turnaround jumpers on me and I will, uh, I will try to block some shots. Go get them. I'll talk to you later. Peace out, guys.